When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to a brilliant new edition of Plank of the Week. We are sitting, as you can see, in a very different studio today because uh, we have decided to elevate ourselves to the top floor of the News UK building. We are 17 storeys high above St Paul's Cathedral, as you can see behind me. Uh, and I'm here with two very, very, very special friends. Uh, Mr James Max, uh, Talk Radio's very own early breakfast presenter. I think they still call it that. And of course, Emily Carver, who we haven't seen for a while because we've all been in sort of lockdown city. So we haven't been able to get you into the building but we smelled her in this time uh, so that she can join in. I suppose we should get going, guys. Really, really nice to see Christmas trees around, isn't it? Yeah, they're lovely. Um, I'm just worried about the environment. There's so much plastic around here. Well, I wouldn't worry too much about the environment because there are other people to do that. There are That's people, true. There are people <laughs> what, all over the place. What an immediate segue. Yes, there are loads of people all over the place that worry about that. Maybe you should kick off with one of them. It's Prince Harry. Yes. And normally I wouldn't be so rude as to have to refer, but I, it's, I want to get his words right because they're so ridiculous. So, what if every single one of us was a raindrop? This is what <laughs> Prince Harry has asked. What's the point of bringing children into the world if it's on fire? But he then says that we can beat climate change by relieving the parched ground. Oh, Mr. Wokey McWokerson, stop it. This is embarrassing. I know you've taken a lot of money from Netflix. I know that somehow you have got to pay for you and your wife's ridiculous lifestyle and to somehow pay back some of the money that you've borrowed and all the stuff and whatever it is and keep yourself relevant uh, in order that you can live your ridiculous life. And it's, there's so many problems with everything that they're doing. They're taking money from the company that just lied about all their family yes. recent history. And also, I'm very pleased to see that now the government has taken up my cudgel, which I said some weeks ago, that they should be doing something about this maniac uh, who's written The Crown, who's just making stuff up as he goes along. You know, not as if, you know, Charles and Diana's life wasn't crazy enough. You don't have to make stuff up about it. But now they're going to ask for some kind of disclaimer. Well, you see, the thing is that I, I don't mind about dramatising, if that's what you want to do with the story. But first of all, let people know. The second thing is that the original story is so amazing why not keep it close to history? Because some of the stuff that they tell is true in terms of how the relationships, was it ever going to work? Uh, some of the strangeness that goes on. I mean, the family is... I mean, look, every single family that we know is, is a very unusual unit. The only normal people are people that you don't know very well, all of that good stuff. Yeah. So we know that they're bonkers, and I love the insight into the fact that they're bonkers. But just tell the truth. It's, yeah. it's a compelling story as it is. Well, exactly right. And is this something to do with Netflix, then, this outpouring of uh, grief yes. from here about so, the environment? Well, of course, he and his wife took gazillions from 
uh, Netflix mm. in order to uh, either subs I don't know how much it is, but it, at the time it was reported, is it 60, is it 70 million dollars in order to either narrate, to front, to launch, produce. create content, produce. I mean, what did Wasn't they know? Wasn't there talk of a sort of reality style? Program. Oh, they're doing or one of those too. Or is that a fantasy? Too. Pardon? They're doing one too. Oh, as well. Yes. Okay, on top of. The Real Housewives <laughs> of Montecito or something. I mean, God only knows what... I mean, of course <laughs> it's going to be sanitised and everything. And I, I, I don't know. I probably would watch to see their ridiculous life. That's the only thing you would watch. I mean, you would not particularly want to watch a film about elephants, which is probably one of the things they're going to do, right? Because they love elephants, apparently. <laughs> they do but love elephants. what about elephants. all this nonsense about, you know, the, the world being on fire? The world's not on fire. Well, exactly. Is it? And this is the, well, it is if you're in a if you're in a house in a fifteen million dollar house. I mean, Malibu goes up in flames on a regular basis, but that's why they've moved there, I presume. Well, quite. Um, I mean, it is such a lot of nonsense. I'm just trying to find. Uh, so, blah blah blah. Launched the Netflix-style platform for environmental and conservation documentaries. Boom! Oh, great! It's so dull. I might have to give up my Netflix subscription. Does Harry see himself as sort of the next David Attenborough or something? He obviously does. But this is the thing. You know, Harry was never particularly well endowed in the brains department, no. was he? I mean, he wasn't thought of I as I wonder that. where you're going with that. It, well, like, I mean, know? he was son of the hunk, wasn't he? He was the guy that everybody wanted to date because he, he didn't have to be serious because he was never going to be king. You know, he was the spare to the air and all of that. Uh, and he was in bougies all the time, you know, going out with blondes from Chelsea. Suddenly he's now found himself as this kind of woke champion. Uh, to try and save the world. And everybody's kind of... I mean, it wasn't that long ago he was photographed naked in Las Vegas playing pool with a load of strippers. This you is know? very true. But the other thing is... I liked him a lot better then. <laughs> I liked him a lot better. <laughs> I think also, look, it must be tremendously difficult to be in that role that you know that you will never be anything other than insignificant. And... And I do understand that the pressures of always being followed and photographed and having everything, and you're living in a fishbowl or a goldfish bowl or whatever it is, and having every single part of your life turned over. I get it. But what I don't get is this very strange, oh, but the money's come in now, and so therefore sell my soul to the devil. I, I find it absolutely extraordinary. And, and again, with the environment, do not lecture you, me, any of us on being wonderful about the environment and then flying to that particular conference mm. in a private jet. I know. Don't do it. Absolutely right. That's enough about Prince Harry, it anyway. Uh, Emily, who's your first uh, nominee? Um, I think it's got to be Mark Drakeford. Mm. So this man who has had, let's just say, a disastrous uh, coronavirus in yes. terms of policymaking, after the disaster of his uh, firebreaker, yes. he is now telling Wales that pubs have to close at 6pm from Friday, and not only that, they're no longer allowed to serve alcohol. Yes. So essentially, he's banning the Welsh people from... Boozing. He is. I mean, it's basically prohibition by another name, isn't it? It is. And one of the things that I find so extraordinary about this is if you want to get people on side, come up with measures that, one, we've, we've been in this long enough. There are things that do work. So let's do the things that work. And the second thing is let's also be mindful of elements of the economy and elements of people's minds and welfare and also what we're going to kill off. I do not want to see one huge element of our um, uh, cultural life killed off at the other side of this, which is pubs and entertainment and live venues and, and all this stuff. We have to make sure they're protected. Oh, yeah, they've been the massive scapegoat in this whole yeah. sort of lockdown restriction 
stop, start again measures that's been going on. They really are the scapegoat. They are going to be decimated in Wales with these kind of rules. And if they bung them, you know, £1,000 here, £1,000 there, that's not going to save any Doesn't jobs. Touch the side. That's no. just going to keep the measure. I spoke to a guy today. So. I spoke to a guy today who runs a couple of hotels in uh, sort of the, the Kenilworth area, right? Um, um, he was saying that they get something like he's not allowed to open his hotels, can't open his bars, they're in tier three. He says that it costs him about 20000 a week to break even, really? right? That's what he needs to bring in. He's getting 3000 a month from the government. You can't keep going like that, can you? But you know what? This guy like looks like he is in dire need of a drink. He does. He's so miserable. Yeah. His whole attitude is just... I mean, I watched him speak, and he's just a miserable git, mm. basically. Yeah. And he needs probably a drink. But he's told, uh, he to he's told the Welsh people that it's okay. They can have a non-alcoholic mulled wine. So a that's non-alcoholic mulled that's wine. That's But I mean, obviously, what's so going to happen? To clarify. Right? Also, what's the point? What's <laughs> going to happen though is people are just going to drink at home. And when you know, it's been relatively well sort of qualified that if you drink at home, you tend to drink more, and you tend to get more drunk because, because there's nobody. Oh, yeah. One, it's cheaper, but also two, you've got loads of booze. Yeah, and well, we I know have anyway. Already. I mean, I presume most people do. And you just <laughs> open another. Taking advantage because one of the things here's, here's an upshot of one of the reasons that there's such good deals on fizz and booze at the moment is because many of the hotels and restaurants, no celebrations, no weddings, no mm. this, that. There's a huge glut of it. Right. It's no wonder that you're getting, you know, buy, buy six, get one yeah. free, and an extra right. 15, 20% off, and da-da-da. It's not been this but also, you know, if you're in years. A, if you're in a restaurant, right, and you'll, you say you have a bottle of wine, and you're thinking, you're just about coming to the end of your uh, main course, and you're thinking, should we get another bottle? Probably not, just maybe get a glass. Whereas when you're at home, you're opening the other bottle <laughs> on the basis that, well, if I don't drink it, I'll have it tomorrow. Also, uh, you've, opened it, to you've opened it before you've even started. Well, I mean, not <laughs> only if I open the second bottle, but because it's open, I just finish it anyway. And then I start worrying about whether I should open the third bottle, and then you really can start getting into a bad place. But bring, you know what I mean? Bring responsibly, kids. <laughs> also, if we go back to the science here, you know, we already know that this disease transmits mostly at home yeah. and in nursing homes. Right. It's not in the hospitality sector. So I think this is all part of this sort of Puritanism, yes. sort of. Well, I wonder temperance. about that. The, the one thing that they've all seemingly got in common: Nicholas Sturgeon, um, Boris Johnson, who I didn't think would be like that, and Mark Drakeford. I'm not sure about Arlene Foster over in Northern Ireland, but she looks a bit stern as well. Who you know, knows? they don't. Um, they don't seem to want anybody to have a good time. They don't seem no. to want anyone to have a drink. And apparently, as well, Drakeford has quoted this Sage study, which was basically brought in from somewhere like Indonesia, right? And it's the only place they've done a study of kind of nighttime economy. And, and nightclubs and bars and things in Indonesia, which is a very different kettle of fish, I would have thought, from what we're doing here. Well, I mean, this has been a long time coming, hasn't it, since the smoking ban yeah. and then various different bans on the regulations, different time closures. Uh, you know, there's a lot of... Uh, Somebody put out a meme a the other day. Yeah, saying, you know, I remember the days um, when you used to be able to smoke in the pub. Now you can't even have a drink. I mean, <laughs> you know, that's how ridiculous things have got. I actually was talking to my sister in America the other day, and over there depending on which part of the, the country you're in, it's, it's much more normal than it is here. And um, she was, you know, I was saying, it wouldn't be surprising if somebody said to me tomorrow, um, if you've left-footed, you can go out on Wednesday, uh, but you have to be home by three o'clock. You know, you know, that's how mad it is. It's literally anything oh, yeah. you like. We've allowed we, them we to micromanage to, our lives. But also, the, the, the thing that we're seeing playing out, which I think is, this is absolutely the wrong time to do it, and they keep saying, of course, that they're not doing it, is that each politician who is in the limelight, is playing out their political fantasy. Hmm. And as a result of that, I think we are not seeing best decisions and best practice being taken. So, for example, the fact that we are a relatively small island 
you would have thought that whatever advice they have, it should be fairly similar yeah. between Scotland, Northern Ireland, Wales and England, and also between politicians in power and those not in power. Mm. And the fact that it's not similar means to me that we've got politicking going on. Yes, yeah, absolutely. But we've got the Scottish and the Welsh just looking at us, seeing what we do, and then going that one step further, aren't they? Had that with the SNP. Yeah, well, you haven't been able to get minister. a drink in a pub in Scotland for ages. I mean, I think no. probably several weeks now. It's no. just ridiculous. But also, the conditioning of people I find interesting. I don't know if you saw Matt Hancock's uh, briefing yesterday in which the first question from a member of the public, from some woman, very, very sort of miserable-looking woman in Southampton, <laughs> who asked the question... Well, yeah, who asked this question, I kid you not. Um, I'm in a long-term relationship, uh, and I'm assuming they've picked these oh questions, right? I'm in a long-term relationship, but um, my boyfriend and I don't live together. Um, are we able to see each other indoors or outdoors, right? And old Hancock is obviously <laughs> completely stunned by this question. He doesn't know what to say. Basically refers her to the website and says, well, I think you'll find all of the relevant rules uh, on the website, oh but God. technically speaking, you shouldn't really be mixing with anyone outside of your own household. Well, this is the thing. Perhaps so, the public should be a plank of the week. Well, exactly. I mean, what a stupid question. I mean, if you want to see your boyfriend, <laughs> go and see your boyfriend. You know, maybe stay two metres apart or maybe not. You know, whatever you think is right. Who knows? I mean, it really is bizarre. It is bizarre and it is defying all manner of common sense. Yeah. I think, I think Drakeford, though, Maybe quite a good contender for winning the whole thing. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to go uh, with my first um, item as the Guardian. Now you know that I'm famous for tearing it up, but the Guardian, you know, this bastion of, of you know left liberal thinking, and this one place where you know everybody's kind and nice, and you know they care about other people and they love uh, to look <laughs> after those who are less fortunate than themselves. Turns out to be the most hideous, ghastly organisation that anybody has ever been to, you know, anybody's ever worked at. And they're all just horrible people. They've chased Suzanne Moore, who's a very formidable and quite admirable woman, has been a feminist for many, many years and has written some great stuff. Whether you agree with her or not is not the point. But she was a, fem you know, she was a proper feminist when it wasn't that easy to be a feminist. And she was writing you know, columns in national newspapers when it wasn't that easy to be a, a woman columnist. And yet, and, uh, uh, they've got, apparently they've got as many as 381 people inside The Guardian which I didn't think uh, was wow. possible. Uh, but they all work there, apparently, and they've all signed a petition to get rid of her because she had some views that they didn't like, which apparently were about trans uh, uh, women and trans men. She had this incredibly, you know, complicated and controversial view that, you know, um, you couldn't just be a woman by calling yourself one, which doesn't seem that controversial to me. But she's now had to leave a job that she was in for 25 years, and she's described The Guardian as one of the most ghastly places ever to work because it's been taken over by the core ministers. Yeah. And these are the, these are the Guardian people who, um, who obviously deny that cancel culture exists. Yes. And there they are. Cancelling everyone. Banishing this yeah. woman for having, daring to have a different point of view. And which, because they've now won, presumably they'll do with everybody else that writes anything but, in there they don't like. But this is where we've ended up, mm. that apparently when it comes to having a view, you're not allowed to have a view because... Not because, uh, you know, it's nothing to do with free speech. It's because you're wrong, apparently. So when you're wrong, it then means that you can't possibly have this view or indeed float it in the same way that we've got the teacher who's been, uh, you know, hounded out of Eton. And you could say, oh, well, you know, there's a male school and a privilege and da-da-da and all that stuff. But in fact, what you need to do in order for people to make up their own minds as opposed to just being brainwashed, you need to be able to have conversations and to have not radical views which are factually incorrect but you need to be challenged and of course there's a fine line with these things 
But a great columnist is somebody who riles you, who allows you, if you like, to develop your own thoughts so that, you know, and say, for example, you know, in all of our jobs, we're, we're telling people things and we're giving ideas and opinions and, and putting things forward. It's not to change people's minds to our way of thinking no. necessarily. It's to help you that if you're watching or listening, you come up with your own idea and decide whether or not we're right or go and look and do your research and find out what you think. And if I've allowed you to think, even if it doesn't agree with me, I've done my job. Yeah. And, and that is a great columnist. And I think with Suzanne Moore, I, you, you look at the stuff that she wrote. Rarely did I agree with her, but she, it was always very well written. It yes. was very well And well presented. argued, yeah. And well argued. Mm. And I think that you must have people who have different views. And guess what? With those difficult issues where society is changing... You've got to have those conversations mm. so that people either can come with you, they can change their minds, or perhaps but they I, don't. I don't think The Guardian is capable of having those kind of conversations because at least my perception of The Guardian is, is that it's dominated by middle-class, upper-middle-class, North London types, yeah. right? And she was actually There's different from that. There's nothing wrong with North she London. Didn't, no, I know. I'm from North London. But Me they, too. But I know exactly the type that The Guardian... Hang on, middle-class, <laughs> North... Oh, uh, you for The Guardian? I was born in, I was born, I was born in Hampstead, my boy. I'll have you know. But isn't it, anyway... But yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> but it's dominated by these kinds of people and she was actually didn't fit that mould right. she was very different so I wonder if there's also that sort of I think there um, is an element of snobbishness yeah about snobbishness it. about her yeah well it's the same snobbishness that these people have for the working class the people who they're supposed to represent, if they're, you know, Corbyn supporters and they're Labour Party supporting people, they're supposed to be the champions of the underprivileged. Well, as long as they're not they? actually white underprivileged kids in, in Britain who they hate because they don't want anything to do with them because they might be racist, you know. But they've got their bleeding heart for everybody who's underprivileged in every other part of the world that they'd like to not actually have to meet at any point in time, you know. Well, exactly. But then this is also part of the problem when it comes to... Uh, analyzing, if you like, what's right and wrong in society, and then how do you analyze things? How do you look at things? And the, if I hear another blooming left winger talk to me about evidence-based uh, analysis, yeah. and therefore they must be right, this is the problem yes. that we have: is that this doctrine, which is particularly used by the left, which is evidence-based as opposed to common sense or experience-based, mm. which allows people to miraculously to see into the future, it's nonsense. Mm. It's also peer-reviewed as well. That's the other one that's annoying, isn't it? It's oh. peer-reviewed. Is it peer-reviewed? <laughs> I mean, I'll come on to Facebook later on, but I mean, you get this ridiculous situation where people are telling you that only they know what the truth is, and you can't possibly know what the truth is because you've got the wrong kind of politics, and therefore everything that you see is seen through the wrong kind of prism. But what they see isn't through a prism at all. They just see the truth. And it really is quite extraordinary. I mean, when you think about somebody like uh, Owen Jones, you know, who goes around, you know, blocking people right, left and centre who he doesn't like or that who don't agree with him or that, you he know, he can't, he can't, does he? Yes. Well, Why? I mean, you're very fortunate in that case. I'm, I'm also fortunate because he doesn't love me and he blocked me a long time ago, so I don't see any <laughs> drivel that he writes. Right? But, I mean... I like he's... to annoy myself from going to read it on occasion. Yeah, I mean, I'll read The Guardian on occasion, um, but it never ceases to amaze me how ridiculous it has now become. It used to be a pretty good newspaper, you know. And one of the things that I would have always said when I was in newspapers is that what you want, for example, is two columnists having completely different views and arguing with each other in the paper because it actually is quite good for circulation. It's quite good for for the sort of, you know, the stimulus of, of, of people buying the newspapers. You want to see what Suzanne Moore's going to say about Owen Jones and vice versa, you know. But they don't seem to want that anymore. But also what you want from a great columnist is, is to thought-provoke. You mm. want people who are going to look into subjects and also take it forward and also admit when they're wrong. Yeah. I mean, a great columnist will say, I got it wrong. Yeah. And you can change, and if you're a decent columnist, you can pretty, pretty much write 
on any subject. I mean, people always make fun of Boris Johnson for having written two versions yeah. of Brexit, you know. But actually, you know, that's entirely what you do. I mean, I remember when they were awarding the, um, uh, the, the Olympics, which eventually got given to China. You know, we had, I was at the Express at the time, and we had commissioned something like five different pieces, depending on where it went. Uh, and, of course, it didn't go to any of those five. It went to the one we hadn't prepared. So we had to quickly write something about China. But, you know, that's what newspapers do. People do tend to have, you know, two versions of lots of different things, you know. But, but Facebook, let me tell you about them, because I can't have them both. As, I don't want to have The Guardian and Facebook as two separate ones. So I'm going to roll Facebook into You're rolling it, them together. On the, basis, you. on the basis that uh, Facebook is a sort of run by sort of lefty planks as well. Um, I did an interview, as I do every Monday, <laughs> with Peter Hitchens, you know, the esteemed Mail on Sunday columnist. And we were talking about a great many things, including the mask study that was done in Denmark, right? We posted the, uh, the interview, as we always do on Facebook. And lo and behold, the next day I went to see how it was doing in the terms of numbers. And um, there was a warning on it, which said uh, that it had been fact-checked by what I can only presume would be a lot of, sort of spotty youths in, uh, in Silicon Valley. You know, dude, man. Hey, look, man. Look, this might be misleading, he's man. Lying. Yeah, no, he's <laughs> lying, man. And you know, another toke on the old uh, joint. You know, and apparently I and Peter Hitchens may be misleading the public by talking about this. And I was absolutely outraged. I thought, how dare you? Who the hell do you think you are? But isn't this part of the problem with an organisation like that? There are two fundamental issues when it comes to, say, for example, uh, Facebook. In fact, there are three fundamental issues. It's starting not. to sound like the Spanish Inquisition. Well, as what? Fanatical <laughs> devotion to the if truth. I would ever be impressed with <laughs> that. So the first thing about Facebook is um, they really are not clear with how they use your data and the algorithms no. and all that stuff. And so... When you say not clear, you mean dishonest. Correct. Yeah. The second thing, I'm just being polite. Uh, I'm using, I'm polite using legal, legal, friendly, legal friendly language. Yes. The second thing that I'm disconcerted about is that they tell us that they are... Um, a technology company, not a media company. Mm. They have become a media company. They're and a they are using surely, and feeding off other people's hard work yeah. in order to make money for themselves. Mm. And the third point is that there is a lot of vile and, and uh, unnecessary stuff that they refuse to remove, uh, whether it be anti-Semitic or racist and all sorts of stuff. Well, they've got all sorts of weird um, sort of rules, haven't they? Like, you can't put a picture up of a woman breastfeeding a child, but you can put a picture up of somebody being beheaded. Well, this is the right. thing. You still have groups up and running that are deeply anti-Semitic, full of sort of Corbyn activist types, oh, saying yeah. the most awful stuff. And then you have your video yeah. being told that right. it's, uh, it's uh, false or whatever. Two middle-aged so men just... talking about the coronavirus, you know. Well, which is... I mean, who wouldn't want that? Well, lots of people want it because the, the, the YouTube numbers would prove it. But, you know, I, just, I take exception to their kind of impudence, if you like, because, you know... <laughs> I know what I'm doing. He knows what he's doing. We've been doing this a long time. We don't need somebody in California telling us that it might be misleading, because it isn't. But also, the other thing, again, is that uh, when I worked in the States, I remember getting into a massive Barney with some of the people I worked with when we were discussing what free speech meant. Right. And I was talking about the power to offend. And they are so litigious and so stymied in so many different ways that the American system doesn't actually lead to free speech whatsoever. And their, their ability to be able to understand a nuanced argument is limited. And I was really shocked by this. Although they're more free in America in many ways to speak about things than we are. You know, they, they don't because have... we've got Wokey McWokerson. Well, no, but we've always been more, much more. I mean, back in the day when um, newspapers used to get sued a lot by Hollywood stars, so a piece would appear in the National Enquirer and they wouldn't be sued in America because in America, if you're famous, you have to prove malice in order to win a libel suit. But when it was reproduced in one of the papers over here, they'd sue in London and they'd win. 
because the, law, the libel laws actually were, were, were more against free speech than they were for it. So in America, you could, and you could say a lot more in America than you can say here. Well, I think without... we need some kind yeah, of free speech a... bill because it's just getting ridiculous. But also the there's amount... a difference, though, between free speech yeah. and being libelous. I mean, you know, being unpleasant to people or, or libelous or... or well, no, there isn't, though. The, the point about being unpleasant is that there are consequences to what you say. You know, if you want to say whatever you like, you can do it in America, but you really can't do it here. There are things, there are, there are laws here, like hate crime laws, for example, but there are... which there are not in America. True, but then also you have a look at the likes, and, and this goes back to the Facebook, because we might as well bring them back into them. Didn't you mention them? Yeah. So one of the things... You're going to end up as a plank to... at this rate. <laughs> one of the things that they don't have to uh, stick to, if you like, are the very uh, rigid rules that the rest of us have to. Say, for example, you work for a broadcast organisation like we do, or you write for a national newspaper like we do, mm. and you have to stick to rules. There are certain things that you can and cannot do and, can yes. and cannot write right. and say. And yet, on that platform, you can, but... As, as you have found out, you, you put something out there that they decide they don't like, mm. and boom, and, and they'll censor it. And this is the problem. Have you, let's have your second one. My second one, I think, has to be Sir Philip Green. Oh, yes. We have created a tax system that encourages people to behave in certain ways, as opposed to what really a capitalist system should be, which is to reward success, and to reward investment, and to reward... Um, behaviours, if you like, that make other people's mm. and enrich other people's lives because they are successful. Yes. And what because it does seem a bit unfair, doesn't it? There's a guy with a massive great yacht sitting in Monaco Harbour, yeah. uh, basically making a lot of people redundant to turn all the scrap heap because the company has failed. Yeah. But I think it's worse than that, because first of all, he's rinsed all the money out of the companies. The second thing is that the tax system encouraged him to do that. Because if you're able to buy losses, use them, use debt in a certain way, and this comes from somebody who was an investment banker and uh, worked in private equity, mm. and therefore I've, I've done those sorts of deals where you structure them in such a way to rinse some cash out yeah. in, in order to, if you like, make your return, as opposed to making your return off the basis of the fact that the business is successful. In addition to that, he has not modernised the business. And he has to take responsibility, I think, for the fact that the, the high street that we, that we have is largely driven by the fact that he and others have not innovated because we as a society... Well, he hasn't had to, has he? He hasn't had to because he's rinsed the cash out. Yeah. So, I, you know, whether it's plankism or whether it's stupidity or whether it's greed or whether it's just ineptitude, a whole range of things, I am thoroughly disappointed that we end up in this situation. Yes. Anybody who but thinks is it it's his just fault, COVID, though? But is it his fault? Because it's a bit like when you talk about people like... Um, you know, uh, the coffee companies and Google and various people who Netflix as well, who don't pay their fair share of tax, as everybody's always telling us. It's because they can. It's because they don't... It's not we their make fault. The rules. Yeah, it's not their fault that they're avoiding tax because everybody avoids tax if they can. Why wouldn't you? Tax you know? should never be, in my view, a moral issue. I think you can count on one hand the number of people who paid more tax than they had to voluntarily last year because we have a system. You can make a donation. But all these people, like. I mean, all these lefties who uh, make loads of money, mostly in the film business, who say, you know, we should be taxing people more. It's like, well, if you want to pay a bit more in, be, be my <laughs> guest, mate. You know, <laughs> exactly. you Nothing is use, stopping you. Yeah. Don't use all the incentives that are sat there, by the way, mm. to encourage. Yeah, but all I'm asking you is we don't live in a proper free market capitalist economy do not anymore it makes the 1970s look like free markets went mad and rampant but i think what comes from here with covid and everything is the acceleration of the decimation of our high street and i wonder what's going to come in its place because it is sad you can say what you like about philip green but this certainly has accelerated the but uh, why wasn't the... philip green 
He should have been innovating, yes. Yeah, 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 but he should have innovated. But also, he and others should have been pushing, because he was in government. He should have been pushing in government for the changes. Where we have allowed, we the consumer, have allowed a combination of the tax system to ruin our high street and to take jobs away because of tax inequality, not because getting the stuff... We, we've allowed all this stuff to be delivered and the vans and the pollution and the, everything, and, you know, we're just using it because it was cheaper, and it's cheaper because they're not paying the tax. Yeah. It's not cheaper because it's cheaper to do it like that. Yeah, but it's not anybody's fault. It's unbelievable. Fault. I mean, you've been calling for people to kind of revolutionise their business and to modernise their business, and that's what you're talking about. Amazon is about modernising business. And Amazon, Amazon is, is about modernising business, but it's also about rinsing a tax system. Yeah, but that's not their fault, is what I'm saying. It's no, the fault it's of the people that write the tax rules. And if yes. they can't write the tax rules the right way... So what then you're saying, is, what I'm I saying should, is... I should lump the government in with Sir Philip. Well, I don't think Sir Philip Green is a plank. I mean, he may be a thoroughly unlikable individual. But, I mean, again, it's not his fault that he's done something which is rather un unkind to his employees... But it doesn't make him a plank, I don't think. I mean, it makes him a bit of a sharp operator, I suppose, is what I'm saying. It, it is a sharp operator, but on the other hand... But he shouldn't I, have done it. No, he shouldn't have done it. But I, but I also, or maybe he should have done it in terms of he should have done it. I think if you, if you make that much money um, and you are unable to lead by example once you've made your money, by making good decisions, by leading by example, by innovating or by selling out, so let somebody else do it to protect the jobs, then I think, I think it is plankism. And I think it is... Plankery because you have become so arrogant yeah. in yourself and in so much of your bubble, in the same way that we we're talking to Rolls before, you become so rich and so wealthy and so detached from reality that you forget the fact that you are in a position of responsibility. If you have that much money, above a certain, and I don't know what the level is, I don't mm. know whether it's 10 million, 20 million, or 50 million, if you have that amount of money, there is much more responsibility on you as an individual to lead by example. Yes, but he didn't get all that money by being responsible for the deed. That's the problem. No, he got it by rinsing and, yeah. uh, and, and stripping. And I always thought stripping. the best uh, sort of revenge for anyone for him would be for his wife, who he gave all of his sort of, you know, shares to, to divorce him and just dump him and say, right, I'm taking the yacht, I'm taking the houses, I'm taking the cars. Cheerio, I've got all the stuff. I mean, would you want that, that would yacht? Be funny. It's a bit vulgar. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Anyway, what's your second one? <laughs> um... My second one is going to be Professor Neil Ferguson. Ah, yes. He said that it's been very difficult at times recently <laughs> because of all the hate mail he's been receiving and that some people, i.e. the public, just like to have a bogeyman to blame things on. Yeah. So essentially, he is now the victim. And let's remember who this man is. This is a man who uh, is responsible for our first lockdown. Yep. The, the data that was used, the modeling that was used, the projections that were used. Now, this is also the government's fault, of course, yes. because looking at his track record, it wasn't so good, was it? He got it wrong on what, the swine flu? Everything. Various bird flu. He's never got anything right. He's this is a guy got... who's literally never got anything right. <laughs> He's never got anything right in his life. Can I ask so, a question, though, yeah. about these people? Because this is where we in society go wrong. We confuse somebody who is an expert in a particular area with somebody who can see into the future. And we allow these people to take their expertise from the past and their experiences and the fact that, yes, they do. I'm sure he knows a lot more about whether it's viruses or anything else. But what he cannot do, any more than you or you or me, is look into the future. And also, we know that every single economic model is wrong. Mm. Always. Yeah. 76% of all statistics are made up. Yeah. We know that. So why do we trust these people still? Well, I think we're not going to in the future. Well, the public aren't. Well, anyway. I worry that actually we've been doing this for a lot longer than anybody knew, that government has actually been being run by these people on almost every subject. You know, So they go to them yeah. and say, let's get the model on this. You know, So if we do this, that what will happen next? And then they get told what will happen next. Well, I'm going to come and back that... to that in my, in my next plank. But oh. let's remember why this guy might have been getting hate mail. OK. Well, let's, let's oh, remember, let's... what was it? I, th okay, I think we should so... feel as if I could have a nice, nice glass or something and we could be here for a while. <laughs> exactly right. But... He came up with all these rules and restrictions and then obviously he was caught red-handed. He was. Well, trying to get his leg over with this woman. Twice. Twice. Yeah. The German but, married So maybe woman. that's the reason why he got why the hate mail, though, not because again, he's a bogeyman. Yeah, but the people who came up with the rules, they seem to be the people who are least likely and able to stick to them. Yes. It's unbelievable. Well, he was the guy as well, was he not, who said the reason he thought it was all right was because he'd already had coronavirus, right? We're still being told by the government, oh, there's no guarantee that you can't get it again. I mean, poor old Boris locked himself away for two weeks on the grounds that he, he might have become one of the six people in the entire known universe who actually got it twice. Was he a plank for that? Uh, we got him on like, two last two weeks in a row, Boris has been very high up on that. <laughs> very high. But who, who could do some modelling for us on just how much those wrong decisions have cost us? Well, the government supposedly mm. have done a cost-benefit analysis, but the, end result, but the end result of the cost-benefit analysis is that they don't know. Yeah. That was their answer. Their answer was, we're not sure. <laughs> they basically I mean, say, we can't compare, Castle, but we think it would be worse if we yeah. didn't do this. So great, wonderful. Because to have the people who are telling us what to do undermining their very own policies, we all know how damaging that is. And we also know how that changed. I dare say, if neither of those things had happened, so if Professor Dudar Ferguson had not... <laughs> fouled up, you know, because he was more interested in uh, uh, trousering and all that sort of misbehaviour and all that stuff, um, and had just stuck to the rules, and we hadn't had that episode. And if we hadn't had the Barnard Castle, you know, spectacle yeah. thing, um, we as a society probably would have been more observant to the rules, and we might have been in a position where 
um, there was less of an escape, if you like, of the virus. And I we don't know if that's a... true. I think this, we've sort of over-egged the influence those episodes have yeah. on I mean, it, I mean, it, No, we haven't. It, it, it didn't, I mean, it didn't make... Story. Well, it didn't make <laughs> any difference. It didn't make any difference to me. I mean, none of this has made any difference no. to me. You know, I've done what I thought was the right thing to do since the beginning. At the beginning, I was much more likely to do what I was told. Now, I'm much less likely to do what I'm told because, quite frankly, a lot of it doesn't make any sense. I mean, has, has your you... behaviour changed because of that Scottish MP that no, went up and down the country? No, not at all. No. Have you become, though, more resistant to instruction? I've always been resistant to instruction. Well, I mean, yeah, I no, suffer from... have you become more resistant? No, I I it's not possible. <laughs> I mean, I suffer from um, defiance syndrome, uh, which basically means that the more you tell me to do something, the less I'm likely to do it. Fantastic. And I just, it's just something I've always had. I don't know what it is. But, I mean, here's the thing about, um, about Ferguson and about this whole nonsensical kind of modelling system. We did a uh, sort of experiment on the, on the radio a few weeks ago, and I said to people, you know, give me your examples of, you know, what you can extrapolate. And somebody said... Uh, if it falls uh, with four inches of rain today, if that doesn't stop in, you know, two weeks, we'll be all be flooded out. We'll be underwater. And that's kind of what they do. They go, today we had four inches of rain. The fact that you won't have another four inches of rain ever, probably, in any other given day, means that they can extrapolate that, you know, in a week's yeah, time, course. you'll be flooded. But it's the same with all the environmental nonsense that we receive. Yeah. It's extrapolated well, apparently, data you know, that was Greta wrong when they started. We're all going to be extinct in 10 years, aren't you? Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, it's, it's, um, when I was growing up in the 1970s, we were all going to die from acid rain and something. Yeah. And the other thing is that in the 1970s, we ate a lot of E-numbers. I haven't died yet. No, no. I mean, I can't remember what I did in the 70s. I'm very happy that you can still remember it, but there we are. <laughs> you know, um, That's a whole other episode. The 80s. What's happened to me in you the 1970s? forget the 70s. 80s. I was in New York for the whole of the 80s. Didn't sleep for 10 years. <laughs> You know, so anyway, they probably can't story. remember any of that. No, no I don't. Yeah. Now, my uh, third, my my second, rather, I should say, is the BBC, uh, who frequently appear as, uh, as 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 a bogeyman on this particular show. But there's so many reasons this time for the BBC. But particularly, uh, it's a BBC Radio Lincolnshire uh, individual who has oh. caused it. Now, um, I've always banged on about the fact that they shouldn't have as many radio stations as they mm. do, and probably BBC Linkage is one of the ones they shouldn't have. There's about 64 local, news, uh, local sort of BBC radios, right? This is a guy called Steve Thompson, who's a football commentator, and of course all football commentators have to have nicknames, so he's known as Tomo, because that's <laughs> what football commentators get called, right? Now, you might be familiar with the term handbags, but whenever there's one of these kind of punch-ups on the football field... Um, it's generally referred to as handbags by everybody who's ever watched football, who's ever been involved in football, because it's two grown men sort of flailing their arms around each other, and it's not particularly damaging. It's not particularly <laughs> dangerous, right? But also, it's 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 when when the incident isn't serious. Yes, it's basically so it's kind like of handbags are door. They like handbags are like, They door. didn't have fisticuffs. It's, it's a it's a it's a phrase which has been used since time immemorial. Not always just about football. You can use it about two men fighting in a pub if you like. But anyway, you get suspended, right? Because he said that handbags, because of one word, he was suspended. And part of the case against him was that um, a few weeks earlier, he'd been heard to describe somebody as a bit of a drama queen. And suddenly, these are now words which apparently you cannot utter. But this is something that the BBC have been doing. I remember when I was talking to you the other day about this, about how the uh, sports commentators have been given so much different training, so many different rules on all these different words they can't use, yeah. like... Nitty gritty was one of them, and there were various other words that have just been banned. Right, just and I mean, knowing, banned because they have tenuous links to slavery at some really? point. Well, I mean, handbags, like I presume, is a gender-specific phrase which you can't use. But I mean, it's ludicrous because I mean, maybe he should use the phrase "man bags." Maybe he should have said "man, man bags, bags at dawn." Yeah, but maybe that would have been okay. I don't know. But that it's, would be it's, more funny. It's kind of <laughs> ridiculous that because most people. Have, I mean, I've as, had a man bag. Have you had a man? Bag? I did have a man bag. Yeah, yeah man many bags years are ago. Great. Well, I, I got mine when I worked in, in that Hungarian bakery that I've told you about in Hampstead. 
um, because the guy who was Hungarian who ran it had a little man bag and he said, I should have one as well. And so he was kind of They're like very useful. surrogate father. It was great on, like on little, holidays. Little satchel? No, it was like, no, it was more like um, an actual handbag that you carried. Ah. You know, sort of like a, like a lady's, small lady's bag. Kind of, you know, very useful. You could I mean, places I mean you, guys, you guys have it great because you can just walk around with a bag and all your things are in it, whereas we have to stuff things in our pockets or wear a rucksack, which I refuse to do. Um, anyway, I think we're taking too long for this, so we need to hurry up. So let's do your third uh, nomination. Um, George Useless. Yes. Eustace. Useless is a great name, isn't it? <laughs> it's so good. It is very good. So uh, that, that wasn't contrived or didn't shoe on that. doesn't matter. <laughs> if, I mean, it just becomes a slip of the tongue. It's, it's that simple. It's... But there are so many of them in, in that sort of band of uselessness. Anyway, yes. the, the point that they... The Boris useless, Matt useless. Exactly. Just useless. George useless. Although it's not as good. I mean, I always enjoy a story if it uses the word fiasco. Yes. If something turns That's into a fiasco. That's a great fiasco, word. And I think that the whole Scotch egg thing has turned into an absolute <laughs> fiasco of epic proportions. It really has. And the, the thing I also love about it is that people have spent a long time looking into the history of... Um, uh, Scotch eggs right. to find out where they were made and they, 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 there's this row actually as to whether they came from Whitby right. and the name Scotch eggs nothing to do with Scotland at all it's, it's, I think it's uh, J. Scott or W. Scott right. something up there that they had it but actually those ones were eggs with uh, fish paste around them and then breadcrumbs so they didn't invent them they were invented in the 18th century by <laughs> Fortnum and Mason really? Fortnum and Mason, also the first people to sell Heinz baked beans in the country, believe it or not. Fantastic. Anyway. This is so very interesting this is trivia. Great stuff, yeah. Every day is a school day. <laughs> right. This is the sort of stuff that you get if you listen to the early breakfast. <laughs> yeah, I'm not usually <laughs> up early enough, anyway, Dynamites so, of knowledge. So Fortnum and Mason, the other thing is that everybody assumes that the Scotch egg is always pork. It's not. No. The very first ones were chicken. Mm. I've had a haggis Scotch egg. I've yes. had a haggis scotch egg. There you go. There are vegan ones, there are vegetarian now, ones, there are beetroot ones, there are all sorts of things. And they're, they're, I'm not having a beetroot one. That's not happening. <laughs> I mean, there's no way. Fortnum's do them. They look absolutely delicious, no. seriously. Uh, <laughs> but the thing is about these things, though, that they are not a meal. They are described as a snack. They were, they were designed as a snack. So the reason that they were made in the first place is so that the posh people used to go to Fortnum's, pick up their rations, if you like, because they're going off to the country house. Mm. And so they'd and be sat in the back the of the carriage for a rather yes. long time. They might need a little snack that wouldn't go off. Anyway, so they... And you wouldn't need a knife to cut. No, exactly. Anyway, so the, he just walked into the trap. He walked into the trap. You know that when you're asked that, well, would you, you know, can you have, can you have a scotch egg? He should know what the size of a scotch egg is. And he should say, no, 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 yeah. that is part of a meal. If it was ordered as a starter, yes, of course you can have that. Mm. But as a meal, no. But Everybody knows why, what a But this is why is. we've reached this ridiculous place where ridiculous questions yeah. have to be answered. What he should have said yeah. is, you can use your own personal yeah, judgment exactly. or the establishment that you're in to decide whether but it's actually, a substantial meal. Even more important than that, they should not have put that law in in the first well, place. Well, yes, Or that, that rule in. It's stupid. I'm told, it's by the way, and I haven't, I, I'm told this is verifiable, but I haven't checked it myself, that you can apparently go to a pub and have a soft drink or a coffee without having any food. Yes, you can. Which tells you that this is all about, as you were saying yeah. earlier, uh, an attack on drinking. Correct. I think so it is, I... and it's definitely an attack on pubs, that there still exist pubs outside of London and big cities that only sell drink. Yeah. That don't do yeah, they're meals wet pubs, like but, the gastro but, pubs. Exactly. So, you know, it's basically just laying them to waste. But it's... So, as somebody who... Uh, so, I'm chair of a tennis club. So, it's a sports club. It has tennis, but it has uh, a gym and squash and various... You're not allowed to play tennis at the moment, are you? Uh, we are from tomorrow. Okay. So tomorrow. Because remember, they had that ridiculous rule where you could make love to your wife, but you couldn't play tennis with her. Correct. 
it's ridiculous. I mean, not that you would necessarily want to do both. Not, not necessarily, although no. both involve balls. You do. Da Thank you. Anyway. Uh, we'll I, edit that out. <laughs> probably, probably for the best. <laughs> Go on, get on with it. Anyway, so... It's the longest plank of the week I've ever done. I, I know, we'll still be here next week. But th this is absolutely ridiculous, that it just shows the stupidity of the rule. It does. And as a result of that, they really should be going back to the drawing board and saying, we are laying waste, a very important part of our business. I don't mind. If, if somebody can show me the evidence and say, this makes a difference and stops the spread of the virus and saves lives, fine, I'm all for it. I will do it. But what I find absolutely ridiculous is when we are given rule after rule after rule, stop doing it. You've done it in the past. People will disobey. Stop the disobedience, if you like, if that's yep. a word, and just do it properly. I think he highlighted what a plank he is. But also, what a plank, if you like, this whole government mm. of, of this piece of legislation, which is nonsensical, makes no sense. Exactly right. Your final one? Well, I will uh, keep mine nice and short and concise. Yes, very well done. Police or sage? Well, I guess we've sort of done yeah. the sage lot yeah. to death, haven't we? So it should be the police. I to say about their Christmas rules, which are just ridiculous. Yeah. But, um, well, you they could... told you how to make potatoes. Yeah, they it? told you how to not how, how, to not how to make them, but how to dish yeah, them and out. You had to stick Granny by the window, and you, you can't have... sing too loudly. And if you do, you have to do it all in the same direction. Oh. And yeah. if no you, board game. You can, oh, only drink, can... you can only drink your drinks outside by a fire pit. I'm not sure how many. Uh, it's not Terrace Southern California or whatever you I mean, you know, how many I don't, fire pits I, there are. You know how you, know, you, know, you, know, you, know how you have a bird at Christmas time. Mine is going to be flicked in their direction. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. It is ridiculous. Yeah, I think you should go with the police. Okay, the police, after that little intro. The police have been, um, well, I'm, I think public trust in the police is probably at an all time low at I the think moment. So. Yeah. I'd say just with their mixed messages their lack of consistency, their absolute hypocrisy, the way that they treated BLM protests, Extinction Rebellion protests, and the way that they are now treating anti-lockdown mm. protests is just extraordinary. And over the weekend, they were out in London. There were so many police there for this relatively small protest. Yeah. And they were harassing, actually harassing, um, manhandling, people who are in their elder years. Yeah. There's one video that's been circulating around social media on Facebook and Twitter of this man who must be at least 70 being grabbed and harassed and pushed to the floor. And then mm. you have police officers sort of giving cover. And there's loads of them, aren't there? So I guess yeah. people can't film it or whatever um, because there's no one trying to attack from the outside. So they must be trying to cover mm. it up or something. And then you've got, um, I heard on talk radio as well, I think it was with Julia, she was interviewing a chap who's up in Newcastle yep. studying. And you've got the police knocking on their doors, checking that they're... they're Saying we want to come in and see how many people are in the house. Yeah. He's like, why? And you we've know. got so far down this road that I think we've forgotten as a nation what freedom looks like. Mm. Because at the moment it seems to be, well, health versus everything else. And that's not a sustainable way to... Uh, well, run a liberal democracy, but live in one. Doesn't it come back, though, to this point about whether the regulation is there to do the right job or whether it becomes almost a self-fulfilling prophecy mm. or something that they can just throw in because it makes it look like they're taking action? And I think part of what we're seeing is we've got politicians who have taken the wrong decisions. They're trying to cover that up. We know... We know that if the opposition was in there, they would have made all sorts of mistakes as well. I'm not trying to say that uh, the, the government should be blamed for absolutely everything, and they've tried to do their best in a difficult circumstance. But stop covering your tracks. You've made mistakes. Don't make them again. Don't make bad ordering decisions. Don't make bad policy decisions. Don't ask people to do stuff that is nonsensical. Yeah. But equally, you know, back in the early part of the spring and summer, 
you know, when we were still told that, you know, you weren't supposed to be mixing in groups of more than 10 or whatever it was, and there were marches going on in London, despite the fact that technically they shouldn't have happened, the police weren't steaming in and arresting people. Well, Whereas this weekend yeah. they were, apparently because it's now illegal to go on a demonstration. Well, hang on, it was illegal when Black Lives Matter was doing it, and it was illegal um, when Extinction Rebellion were doing it, but they weren't piling into them. And police have the right to act with discretion. Yeah. So, which they're clearly not doing no. when and it I comes mean, to anti-lockdown. The guy in Newcastle is a good example because, sure, I mean, even though apparently it was like COVID officials or something or COVID marshals who called the police on this guy because they thought he had too many people in his house. I mean, really? Get lost. I mean, and he did quite the right thing and, and I think they went away. But they didn't have to go and knock on his door and be so ridiculous about it, did they? I think we have ended up in a, a very sad position where authority is going to be challenged as a result of the ineptitude of people putting authority yeah. in place. When it's there to make us feel supported, and of course you need an element of security and authority and rules and all this stuff. But when you have rules that become nonsensical, people then become disappointed. And, and, and they don't agree with the, and they don't actually follow the real rules, the good rules either. And when you have a police force that is so highly politicised and it's visible to everyone mm. who watches these videos that they're treating people differently depending on the cause. That's when the trust is gone, mm. and I just think it's But yeah. the trust started Hard to go to with the police, though, when you started to see them parking outside, whether it's Starbucks or McDonald's or anything else, filling their faces and drinking all the things. I think it's when they bend the knee, yellows. to be honest. Oh, that as well. <laughs> yeah, I think that was probably the beginning of the end, to be honest. Uh, my final one is going to be uh, Sakir Starmer. Uh, who also appears quite regularly on this Ooh, particular... Oh, Captain Hindsight. Uh, ...plank of the week show. Well, Captain Hindsight, who has now not only got no hindsight, but he's actually got no foresight either because he didn't <laughs> see all sorts of things coming his way. And what he's done this week is absolutely, you know, taken the biscuit, as far as I'm concerned, which is that the most important vote which we are about to have, uh, by the time this comes out, it will have happened, um, on the new lockdown procedures, which if the Labour Party had any kind of... I don't know, character or any kind of belief system, they would be voting either for the lockdown rules or they'd be voting against them. But what are they doing? Are they going to abstain? Abstention in Parliament means that all of the people who they represent, all of the people who voted all of those MPs in, now have no say in what happens to the lockdown rules. Now, he's saying it's so that they can highlight the idea uh, of all the Tory rebellion and the Tory revolt. Well, you can still highlight that by voting with the government, which is what they did last time. You know, and it seems to me that they have no belief system. They don't know what's going on. Momentum still, every single week, are putting out sort of, you know, pamphlets saying we want Jeremy Corbyn back in uh, as a member of the Parliamentary Party. He couldn't stop Jeremy Corbyn being allowed back into the Labour Party. He doesn't seem to be in control of anything. He doesn't seem to know what he wants to do. He now says he's in favour of Brexit when he used to be against it. I mean, the guy is a complete plank, in my view, and he has never, ever been anything else. And luckily people seem to have started to see through. I think it's immoral to uh, abstain yeah, from such is. an important vote. I think so. Like, make up your well, mind and whip it where you yeah, want it to go. Exactly. Don't then just back out of it. Like, I mean, he could, have, it's good politics, he could have actually taken a really brave stand and voted it down. Yeah. voted against it. And together with the Tory rebels, they might have actually defeated the government. And then there would be no uh, restrictions at all. And then they would have to have a proper emergency debate about what to do. But then you see what it then comes down to, which I think is really important, is we... I want to support the government because this is really important and we are a certain way down the line. The vaccine isn't far away. There are some things that we should probably be doing to make sure that we don't allow the virus to spread and to make sure that certain people are kept safe and secure. Fine, I get it. But I would want to know that the rules that they're putting in place are sensible. And when you see stupid situations 
like the ones that we currently have, that the rules make no sense. And everybody is saying they make no sense. And older people are saying they make no sense. Uh, people of all political persuasions are saying they make no sense. Then you're looking for political leadership. And so it's inept. It is inept. And that's why he's going to be on Plank of the Week. So there we are. We've got our nine. I shall carry one over from last week, oh. uh, which might well be Sadiq Khan. Because uh, he's, oh, he's always carried over. Yeah, absolutely right. So now we have to whittle it all down to three, as you'll remember the way the process works. So why don't, Emily, you choose your favourite one of uh, James's, and then you can choose mine and I'll choose yours. Right. Go so so what be your three? Uh, Prince Harry. Yeah. We've got uh, Sir Philip Green, or Phil, Philip Green, whatever. Uh, and yeah, you might got, lose uh, that, George you? Useless. George Useless. <laughs> I think I've got to go for George You've Eustace. You've got to go for Eustace. <laughs> really? It's too Particularly good. Particularly as the Scotch eggs have been the story of the day. They really have. <laughs> George yeah. Eustace is a good one, I think. That's very good. Right, so you have to pick one of mine. The Guardian, the BBC, uh, or Sir Keir Starmer. Which was Facebook locked into? Was that was that... locked in with the Guardian on the grounds that they're sort of similarly lefty, one-track-minded last... political organs. Now, the last time, because I... I... I championed Captain Hindsight being Plank of the Week. Yes. I feel as if I can't do it again. Okay. So I have to step back from that, even though he is. All right. I also have championed the BBC being Plank, so I think I have to step back from that. And I would like to highlight, and I think Guardian and Facebook... Yes. ..because of the ways that both of them are operating, which undermine our ability to have sensible yes. discourse and debate. Yes, I think that's very good. Well, I'll accept that. The Guardian for me. And your three were? Mark Drakeford. Yeah. The Welsh Minister. Yeah. And that's uh, it. I think you don't have to go any further. <laughs> yeah, I, think, I mean, it's got to be Drakeford, hasn't it? It was Neil Ferguson and uh, the police. Yes. Yeah. I mean, they're all good. But I think Drakeford, who has never yet been Plank of the Week, I think should definitely be in there. So, Drakeford, The Guardian. And Useless. And Useless. I think it's got to be Drakeford, isn't it? Number I think one. for our Welsh friends, it's got to be. I mean, how often are you going <laughs> to have you them? See, I'm, I'm just going to put up a last flag okay. for useless. Because, <laughs> because useless has undermined the whole government and Wales. <laughs> because he's highlighted how stupid the rule is. There is no Welsh egg, is there? Well, I don't know about the Welsh egg, but what I know is that as a result of him almost rendering, rendering yep. pubs useless... Yep. <laughs> But I this guy is told the Welsh they can't have a pint at the pub. So's so. But they can have a Scotch egg. <laughs> but they can have a Scotch egg. I mean, this is. I mean, maybe you just make them joint planks <laughs> on the basis that the whole of the Welsh community and the whole of the English community, we've been let down by right. senior politicians just being. Planks. Well, I tell you what, you're you're going to have to have the casting vote because I'm going oh. for Drakeford. You're going for useless. I'm going for useless. Yeah. So it's going to be down Obviously to you. I'm going to go for my nom. Okay, well, you might do. So it's got to be. Oh. But are you happy with that? That's a bit passive aggressive. I don't know. Am I've been I? I've talked radio for three years. <laughs> <laughs> Are you happy with that decision? <laughs> oh goodness! Come on, I, mean, I am. Yes, so yes. stand by my wow. decision. I, I mean, okay. So it's the head of your Would you rather write say? about useless, or would you rather write about Mark Drakeford? Is that I mean, your really? final answer? They used to say. On Is that, that your show? final answer? <laughs> That's my final answer. Your final answer. So it's Mark Drakeford then, <laughs> Welsh First Minister of Wales. Well done, Mr. Drakeford. You've managed to make the great honour. Plank of the week. Well done. Well Thank done. Thank you to James Max. Thank you to Emily Carver. We'll see you next week. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.